Rangers. Assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hello, everyone. This is Jesse Malero, and you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists. Eddie Wilson here with another cosplay connection of a little different variety. I think it gets into quite a few aspects, and that's what we're going to try and condense in the next however long it takes to to do this. I met down in uh, the Sunshine State of Florida in the Fort Lauderdale area. He is, among other things, and if I get it wrong, you'll tell me, a builder, a crafter, a body painter, and a pop culture collector. And his name is Jesse Malero. Jesse, thanks for taking some time to talk to us. Hey, I really appreciate being here. We didn't really get to talk too much, but the one time we did meet, and of course we'll have to mention CJ's Comics and Toys in Oakland Park, because that's how it all came together. You're a man of many talents, and uh, we'll get all your Facebook and other info out by the time we're done talking. But to make this connection, I mean, the cosplay part is definitely a part of it. I think you should be, and probably maybe part of what you had was uh, Hollywood-type stuff, because all these things I mentioned that you do, I can see they're all on a pretty big scale. So where do we start with how you started, you know, getting into what, what you're doing? Well, yeah, it's kind of a long story, but I'll make it as brief as I can. Basically, I've been creative since I was a kid. And throughout my life, I, you know, made things. And then one day I got a job doing stuff, which allowed me some creative freedoms, which led to another job and led to another job. And then my carpentry skills evolved, my fabrication and building skills. I was already very artistic. I had gone to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. And from there on, all of my jobs have been gradually building up, working from you know one production company to another company. Probably over 30 years ago, I worked for the Orange Bowl Parade, building parade floats. And that's where I got my first large-scale sculpting experience. And I was there for five years. I left that company and pursued um, a direction working for uh, prop making for prop masters in Hialeah. And then we did a lot of film, television, commercials, and everything in between. I was always painting and crafting and building things on my own. I've been making costumes back since like the early 80s when I went to the Art Institute before they even called it cosplay. It didn't even have a name. People just went to conventions and dressed up, you know, now it's become such a ingrained into our culture. It's almost inescapable. One day I, people were constantly asking me for commissions, but then it evolved into the costume arena and it just evolved after a few years of that and working for this one production company, almost 20 years, I was getting tired of that. I branched out, started my own production company for a brief period. It didn't really work out because there was a lot of uh, complications. I had a motorcycle accident, which set me back, and there there were a lot of other legal and financial. But ultimately, I ended up with yet another production company, and I've been prospering pretty well with them. They've given me a lot of freedoms to work in the shop and pursue my own endeavors. And as for the cosplay scene, I was always making stuff for other people. Then it evolved into making my own costumes and That worked out pretty well. I'm still creating props and costumes for people as we speak. And the body painting, that's a whole other strange story in the sense that 
as an artist, it's like, okay, I've done all of these things. What's left? What's the, what's another frontier? Mm. And technically, I wasn't even looking for body painting. I just all I ever knew of it was the Sports Illustrated issues and then the Fantasy Fest in Key West. And then I got a little bit of practice here and there. And then a friend told me that there's actually a convention in Florida every year uh, called the Fabaic. It's a strange pronouncing and spelling, but it's the Face and Body body Paint or Face and Body Paint Convention. And I attended many years ago. When I saw what people could do with body paint, it just blew my mind. And I knew this was something I had to pursue as an artist. And I guess the rest is history. Well, let's try and break down, if you can, because there's got to be dozens, if not more, way more than that, that you've done, whether it's build or craft something. And, of course, just out of curiosity, more than anything else, to get into what types of different things, uh, body painting, you've got very much a creative mind. My career spans at least 35 years. Mm. And I say 35 years, I mean, that's 35 years actually working and producing and, and earning a living as the crafter that I am. I kind of define myself as a professional production artist, if I were to give myself a definition. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm basically a carpenter, set builder, prop maker, body paint, and all types of things. Now, I have grown up with all the classic sci-fi films, Star Trek, Star Wars, and all the the great films like Disney's um, The Black Hole, and, and I've been influenced by all of these things. I grew up with it, and I've always wanted to create these characters and I believe the day we met, you saw my vehicle, which was a completely wrapped in Godzilla. Yes. I'm, I'm an obsessed Godzilla collector, among other things. And, yeah, that's the other thing that I don't think we've even touched on. I have one of the largest toy collections in South Florida where my collection's actually been filmed. But, yeah, I love art in every form, everything. I mean, there's nothing I don't at some point have touched or been involved with, you know, from welding to painting and the body paint, personally, my two, if I had to narrow my career down to the two things I love the most, it would be the body painting and the sculpting. The sculpting is just so therapeutic and, and taking clay or foam and creating a three-dimensional character, creature, prop, even that something as simple as a clamshell. It's just satisfying that you've made something from nothing, you know, from a block. And the body paint, that's an interesting form of art because it's gone. It's like these guys that go to the beach and make these incredible sandcastles, and they spend hours and days creating these massive sculptures, and then it's gone. And there's something to that, that you know it's not going to last, but you still put your all into it, creating the illusions. And then when someone tells me, I'll make a post, and there'll be a girl wearing an outfit or in a spacesuit, or she's in some type of uh, comic book character, and they don't realize that it's body paint. If I didn't make the statement that this was a body paint, they do a double take and they look at it and they don't realize that the girl was even painted, that the clothing and texturing was so realistic. I believe that that is the ultimate compliment. When someone's completely fooled by the illusion of what you've done, that's its greatest reward, I guess, unto itself. I believe that is to be true. Yes, and I'm a sucker for that, too, to notice or not realize that, oh, no, that's body paint. That's not a costume or or by any means. That's just super tight. But I think it's something that's out there more in society. That is, more people are showing off being body painted. Um, So maybe it's... It's getting to be more of a common thing, like the term cosplay itself. Now, I'm not sure where we start with the different variety of things, but uh, what 
examples or outrage far out from simple stuff to really ornate things that you might recall, whether it was such a difficult build or it took X amount of time, whether it is with something that you crafted for, if you can say what specific events, other than, like you said, starting with the parade floats. Huh, we could be here for days. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you an example. A lot of the time in the business that I am in, everything is uh, deadline-oriented. So there's almost always pressure, pressure to get it done. You've only got so many days. I think one of my favorite projects was about two years ago, a famous rapper had released an album, and through a third party, our company was hired to create the decor for the event. Now, on his album cover... The album was called Scorpion, and as some people know, scorpions illuminate under a black light. So the album cover was a blue scorpion. So I was commissioned, or through my company, to sculpt a gigantic nine-foot-long, eight-foot-tall scorpion so that they could have at the entrance of the uh, grand opening party in down here in South Florida, in Miami. And we had barely five days, or I had five days to create this thing. And it was just a mad, mad, insane, stressful panic to get this thing sculpted, get it fiberglass, puttied, sanded, painted, primed, and it had to dismantle. It had to be able to transport. We had to reassemble it there. I basically run the production department, and I have people that work under me from time to time. So it was me and the, the crew that I had at the time that we just, you know, got this thing done. But it's still one of my favorite sculptures it's one of those, wow, really have a sense of accomplishment that, wow, we pulled this off and I can't believe we did it in this many days and it looked amazing and it was perfect and the client was happy and they were thrilled and that's the satisfaction, you know, that you can do these things in a tight deadline. So even when I'm working on a personal project, I am always have this sense of urgency. I need to get it done. I need to get it done. I need to get it done. I'm a very driven individual, so I'm one of those few that don't need any motivation Now, body painting, I have a few favorites. My personal favorite is this girl that I had worked with once before, gorgeous model. She's kind of like one of these suicide girls. She's completely covered in tattoos and everything, and you'd never know it with the body paint. But I did Edward Scissorhands, and I did this, what, two years ago or whatever, and people are still, when I show this to people, they're just completely blown away by the whole thing. And then when you tell them, you know, on top of that, you tell them, well, the girl is completely nude. There's even more flabbergasted that the illusion is so complete that you just see every little wrinkle, every belt, every buckle and reflection and imperfection in the costume and so on. With respects to any projects and maybe body painting in particular, maybe there was a time in your career that you found yourself doing, I don't know, several a week or maybe not as much now. And of course, well, at the height of the season, it depends on where there are certain areas that have a higher volume. Now, here in South Florida, at one time, body painting was so much in demand, and there's a lot of competition. There's a, quite a few of us down here. In recent times, it's kind of dwindled off. And there was a time that I was working in a regular nightclub, and I was there every Friday, every Saturday, and I had to paint anywhere from 10 to 15 people within two hours. Nothing elaborate. They wanted the club logo and whatever the theme was. If it was Valentine's, I had to paint all the girls with heart. And if it was superhero night, I would be painting Superman's and Batman's emblems on the guy's chests and maybe accenting their abs. You know, nothing very elaborate, but the same thing, tight deadlines. And it's a lot of high pressure to get these things done. I've done many things with um, Telemundo. 
and Univision, which are the larger tele, uh, the Latino television stations down here, and we'll have anywhere from four to eight girls, and we have two to four hours. Usually I have a partner because it's too much to do for one person, and we've got to paint them all in soccer jerseys or whatever the theme is. So we're usually a lot of time. I average about an hour for body paint, unless it's a private photo shoot, and then I'm allowed more time. Well, I allow the time for myself. But usually when you're on an event, you have anywhere from one, minimum one hour to two hours to get a girl painted for an event. You show up, got to have everything ready to go. There are moments where it's a high-pressure thing. Sometimes the models show up late, and you're like, hey, you're on in 30 minutes, and you're rushing to get this thing done. In a lot of cases, I was going to say that maybe you're not doing um, full that is front and back. You're doing emblems, logos, front work of a person as opposed to possibly front and back to completely waist up if that's a special circumstance. It varies. Every event is different. Sometimes they want the model painted head to toe. Sometimes they just want logos, branding, however it is I've done. I've done body painting for energy drinks where the girls were in bikinis and all I did was just the branding, just the logos all over their body. And other times they wanted the girl to completely look like the product. One girl, they, this was a promo for some champagne, and I actually had to paint the girl like the champagne bottle. But the bottle was like like a mosaic of all these different shades of pink tiles. Wow. That was a very tedious process to paint her, all these tiny little squares all over her entire body, and everyone had to be a different shade of pink. Is there a case, you know, though, where you, know, you, have, you lay down maybe with um, airbrushing or spraying, and then you have to get in there with the fine brush bristles itself? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It depends on the paint. Sometimes I'll do an entire body paint strictly with an airbrush, and there are times that I've been on locations where they didn't have electricity or my compressor failed, and my backup is I have all the cake makeups and a full set of brushes. I can do the same full body paint with brushes if I have to. But, yeah, the detail, there are certain details that you just can't do with an airbrush, and the brush work really saves a lot of time. You can come in, and especially if you're doing some hand lettering or adding all the little reflections and highlights. And I'm guessing that the uh, the paint itself can be washed off and in maybe a lot of cases not, or I guess depending on the type of chemical paint that it is, perhaps um, you can get some longevity out of it for um, half a day or more. There are many different levels of body paint. There's all kinds of companies, all kinds of brands. You do have basic water-based cake makeups and basic water-based airbrush makeup. And they apply beautifully, but they don't hold up. So then you evolve to the next step to what they call the hybrid, which is a semi-alcohol, semi-water that's a little more durable, but the expense doubles. Mm -hmm. Then you have what they call the full alcohol paint, which, okay, the girl is going to be dancing. She's going to be sweating. Uh, Forgive me, girl, male or female model, but the girl will be dancing or there have been times that they actually have to go in the water. You know, they'll be swimming, so it's got to hold up. Now the basic water-based pink makeup, they wash off pretty, pretty easily. Go in the shower and they scrub right off. Then the hybrids tend to acquire a little more scrubbing. And then the full alcohols, yeah, they take a little more work. You might have to use uh, coconut oil and definitely some scrubbing. But again, the higher the quality of the paint, the price doubles for every next level grade that you purchase. A four-ounce bottle brand can cost you $10 to $12. A four-ounce bottle of the high grade can cost you $65. Yikes. So it can get pretty pricey in the cost, depending on what the application is, but then that's a cost that has to get transferred you know, to the client. What would you say in terms of um, the number of, well, the different varieties of characters that you've done? I um, have done Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Superman, Green Lantern, 
Daredevil, Captain America, male and female, several versions of other Green Lanterns I've done, Mystique, many, many Mystiques, Wolverine, Gen X, and countless other superheroes. I've done all the mainstream superheroes that you can think of, Batman, Batgirl, Catwoman. I've done panthers, tigers, lions, black tigers, white tigers, purple cheetahs. I've done a lot of my own science fiction. I love body armor. I love like video game type girls where they're wearing all kinds of armor, modular armor, and I love putting weapons and swords in my characters. So yeah, it's it's endless. I've done hundreds and hundreds. It's impossible to really count them all. Yeah, no, that gives a good glossing over. But when you see some character that you haven't done before, and maybe you recognize or you don't recognize who it is, I guess you're just able to look at it and then translate it into the work that you're going to do, and maybe there's some little here and there you have to kind of erase. There are characters that I do tend to, I'll be honest, there are characters that I do shy away from because they're not interesting enough. If I'm going to do something for myself, if a client requests it, no matter how simplistic it is, I'll do it. For me personally, I will shy away from anything that is just simple, one color, two colors. I like complexity, detail. I need to be challenged as an artist. I just, I want to do something that I've never done before. I'm, I'm, tend to not like repeating myself. There are many artists that use certain styles of paintings and sculptures and so on, but all of their work tends to be variations on a theme. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you know if they do good work and people like it and they're selling it, great. For me personally, I just don't ever want to do the same thing again, if I can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fortunate, though, like you said, that with the work that you've done and found yourself immersed into, that it extends naturally into stuff you do like to do, loving what you do and doing what you love. And that's a great combination there. So that is probably the base of, of all this and what's probably helped you to do it as as many, many years as you have and with a lot of uh, satisfaction and personal positivity, too. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction in knowing that it this work and, and, and seeing people's reactions to the work is, is its reward. I'm one of those, this may sound strange, but I do not have an ego and I don't go around like, wow, I'm the greatest artist kind of thing. I let the work stand, and I don't do it for praise. I don't do it for people's approval. It's about me and what I want to achieve in my life as an artist. And if my work is appreciated, acknowledged, great, even better. Yeah, my end goal is not to be in front of the camera kind of thing. I'm a, I'm a behind-the-scenes more kind of guy. But as a side effect of what I am and what I do, I end up being in the spotlight. Well, I want to move into... But, I, but I'm um, one of those, I definitely don't seek it. Sure. But, you know, your work speaks for you. It speaks for yourself, and that's your resume, your portfolio, if that's what you want to do to get the word out. And you do that with your postings and pictures, and that's great. And you're in them, too, or not, depending. You do some videos, and that's really all good stuff. And you don't know, but well, it I could want, inspire other people. I want to share people. the work. Yeah. You know, I really want people to learn from what I've learned. And if I can impart, it's not like I'm just, here's my art, take it or leave it. I want to, here's how I do it. Here's the material I use. Here's where you get it. Here's how you use it. I want people to learn. I'm sort of a teacher in a sense, and I love sharing the knowledge. Well, let's just ask for a couple of, and we'll get into the pop culture stuff, get back to Godzilla, and also talk a little bit about Ralph. But I wanted to also ask if you could give me a couple of examples of whether it's a build or a body painting that you did that just either turned out so well that you're most proud of, you, you you think your best work was, or it's just like, why did I even bother? This one just totally stunk. Oh, my God, I have a 100 pieces, <laughs> if not a 1,000 pieces of work that I just hated because 
Either I rushed it, there wasn't enough time to do it to the level that I wanted to do it. Again, the business that I'm in is deadline-oriented, and sometimes you're just not given enough time to accomplish something, but there are those rare moments that you just completely lose interest. Not so much the artist's block or writer's block or whatever they call it. You just don't feel that creative flow, but sometimes there are projects that you start and it's just not working out and you just need to abandon it and move on to something else. And I've done that many, many, many times. I've worked on things, sculptures and costumes. I have a costume that I did, and it is a Godzilla theme. Basically, I did classic Japanese samurai armor, and I based it on Godzilla. And it's all Godzilla scales with spines on the back, a Godzilla helmet. And I was so excited when I started this project. I thought it was a great idea. Halfway through, I hated it. I just thought it was just way am I even bothering to do this? It looks like crap. Ugh, I just gave up on it. And I literally didn't touch it for over a year. And then I went back to it. Finally, when I had nothing else to work on at that time, I said, you know, let me just finish it. Just get it done and get it over with. I completed the costume, put it together, and I still didn't feel, I still wasn't feeling it. I was happy the way it came out, but for some reason it didn't push my buttons and until I actually wore it to an event and the response I got from this costume and people are still telling me to this day that is one of their all-time favorite costumes of mine, this full Godzilla samurai armor. And one day I wore this armor to one of the South Florida Supercons and unbeknownst to me, one of the guests at the convention was one of the suit actors that actually wore the Godzilla suit for the film, the Godzilla 2000. And my armor was based on the 2000 film. So the odds of me wearing that costume that day, meeting the actual suit actor, and him being so incredibly generous and posing with me, with the costume, holding my helmet, and I paid for the autograph and all the pictures, that was, was something that, like I said, it was a costume that I absolutely hated when I started and ended up being one of the highlights of not my career, but one of those projects that, like, wow, it became something completely unexpected. Have you had movie work? That's, that's an interesting story unto itself. Many years ago, I worked for Prop Masters in Hialeah, and we did television production, and we worked on films. I actually uh, had a very light touch. I wouldn't say my fingerprint, but on a movie called Just Cause with Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes many, many years ago in South Florida, where they actually built the prison here in one of the sound studios. And I was on set, you know, and we worked on some of the components that went into that build. But I was nobody at that time. And I thought for a long time I wanted to go into film. But it was a very difficult area because you're basically, when you work film, you're going from job to job. You may work four months on a project and then you're out of work until the next job comes. And I had a wife and kids at the time and that was not the lifestyle that was, you know, conducive. I needed a steady job, so I kind of shied away early in my career from film and television. But since then, I've built many props for television commercials, music videos, low-budget fan films. So I, I've got a pretty good reputation in town. I received a phone call literally just hours before you and I began speaking. My client wanted me to produce some masks for, for a television commercial, I believe, or a music video. This is a ballpark question, and I'm guessing you probably have a rough idea, but how many Godzilla figures, never mind other paraphernalia that's Godzilla? You know, I have no idea. Yeah, you, a rough, rough. No phone. idea. I know it's in the hundreds. Okay. It's in the hundreds for sure. 100s, 200s, 300s. Oh, 
four-ish, maybe, okay. 400, because I have a lot of little, I have an entire display case with all these little minis. But the big scale figures, yeah, I've got about 100 or so in the big scale figures, and then hundreds more. That's not counting all the all the posters and all the other odd paraphernalia, Godzilla-related things. Because on the one video, I remember seeing the posters going up the staircase. Yes, that was the, the most recent video. And others besides uh, Godzilla, I think, in that respect, at least. Well, I collect a lot of other things, you know, Predator, Terminator, Aliens, and anything sci-fi. I'm a huge robot collector. I have an entire section of my collection that's just all the classic science fiction robots. Robbie the Robot, the Lost in Space Robot, Iron Giant, every character from every kind of sci-fi film. Walt Disney's Black Hole, Maximilian and Vincent, classic iconic robots. If I am correct, I'm not sure, but I also have one of the largest vintage lunchbox collections as well. At last count, I, I exceeded the 200 mark on lunchboxes, and that's not counting an entire other room in the house that is just dedicated to costumes and props. Well, I was going to say one of the and biggest problems the Doctor would be... Who corner and the oh. Star Wars corner and the vintage C.I. Joe corner and so on. I think it sounds like more than the corners. It sounds like individual rooms, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges you might have is space. Oh, I'm out. Right now the collection is currently eating the house, and I'm <laughs> in the process of I'll be sleeping in my car any day now, kind of. Oh that's the level it's at. I'm in the process of evolving to purchasing my own home, currently renting. You know, I was married for a long time, and we own several homes, but, you know, after the divorce, I was on my own, and I was fine for a while, but now it's time to evolve a little bit, get my feet on more solid ground to where I can possibly restart my independent prop and sculpting company again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's time to expand. I mean, I've always been employed, but at the same time, I, I need my ind independence well, almost speaking like that, dependent or wild or any of the above, let's talk about Ralph. Ralph. Okay, so most of you guys out there don't know, I have a three-foot pet roach. His name is Ralph. And to backtrack his origin stories, this was actually a latex prop that I acquired many, many years ago at a junk shop. And I had him kicking around the house forever. I figured, oh, well, I could use him in a photo shoot or something. And one day, I just decided to pull him out, and just take some random photographs, have some fun with it. And it sort of took off from there. I made a couple of posts, people responded, and then it became a thing. Like people take these garden gnomes and they travel all over and they just take the garden gnome and take a photograph of it in front of, you know, a palm tree, in front of this building and so on. Then Ralph became a character. And then I started finding myself inventing things for him to do, getting him in trouble, getting him involved in projects and so on and so on. Now, after a couple of years, this particular prop began to deteriorate because it's latex rubber. Everyone knows latex doesn't last. And in the South Florida heat and humidity, so he began to disintegrate. I patched him up a few times. So the time came that I had to, you know, being a prop maker and crafty kind of guy, I fabricated an entirely new Ralph. <laughs> and Ralph 2.0 was so much better than the original because the original Ralph was not very poseable. The new Ralph had a rigid body, posable legs. He could hold objects, and it, it was just amazing and so much more versatile. So I've done videos with him skateboarding. I've got him passed out drunk, uh, lighting off explosives and blown up. So Ralph developed a personality, created a Facebook page for him, and, you know, it sort of took off. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, on the golf course, wearing a space helmet maybe even. Yeah, I've got him building spaceships and stuff like that. I've got a few funny things. I've got him being accosted by the men in black 
you know, looking for his papers and so on. I've taken him everywhere. His recent endeavor was I took him to the Renaissance Festival. Now, I have this crazy pirate costume, like a cyborg pirate cosplay that I do. And I brought Ralph one time with a little pirate hat and a gun, and everybody loved him. And then the following year, I said, you know, i got to take this up a notch. So I acquired a baby stroller, stripped it down to the frame, built an entire pirate ship around the stroller, Mm. and mounted Ralph onto the pirate ship. So I'm in a pirate costume, pushing a giant pirate roach on a pirate ship through the Ren Fair. It was hysterical. Awesome. Everybody loved it. And I'm like, well, it's in Florida. Are you going to see a three-foot roach in a pirate costume? Yes. We grow them big down here. He, dang, right, never mind Texas, right. Where did Ralph the name come from? It was just a random name. It just flowed with roach, Ralph the Roach. R, that R, yeah. That's his page. Sure. Originally, it was the adventures of Ralph the Roach, and then it was just too much. and I simplified it to just Ralph the Roach. People at the Renaissance Fair actually use the image of me and Ralph as part of their advertising. How cool is that when well, you you create this character and this persona and then even the people that promote that actually created the festival that, wow, this should be represented or this should represent us. Great compliments, great flattery, you know, that your work is acknowledged and recognized. Well, when you say for the, the advertising, you mean the Ren Fair? The Ren Fair, yeah, the Ren Fair. Yeah. They actually use it. They've used several of my uh, costumes for their promotional, you know, come to the Ren Fair for Pirate Day, and they used my photo of me and Ralph. They picked another one where Steampunk Weekend or Time Traveler's Weekend, they used me in my Steampunk costume, my rocket kind of space rocketeer mm-hmm. costume as part of their advertising. I thought of advertising in the sense of with Ralph, wait a minute, you wouldn't want to go the route of uh, you know, bug spray or exterminators because that might be something. Well, maybe if you turned it around and said something like, uh, yeah, don't let this happen to you, picture of Ralph, and call Bobby's Whoa. bug blasters and we'll take care of your pest control. I don't know. I've actually been approached by a couple of exterminator companies. They wanted to purchase uh, or wanted me to make a copy. They wanted me to build one for them, for their company. They wanted a giant roach. I'll put on top and of their vehicle probably, right? In the beginning, I considered it, but then after a while, I actually declined making any more of Ralph because now I lose exclusivity. And he's sort of my pet, my character, an extension of me. So if I were to make more of them, then it would devalue Mm. the, the uniqueness of him for me personally. I'll make you something else, but I'm going to decline on duplicating him because he's basically, like I said, just an extension of myself. I can't give you or sell you Ralph anymore that I could sell one of my own children. One or two more things, Jesse, and then we'll let you go. The uh, beginnings, I was going to back up, you said, you know, the sci-fi that you're all into. I guess that must have started with with the 50s because I'm going back to the movie Them, for example. Yes. I was born in 62, so but I caught in the late, late 60s, 70s when I started seeing all these older, early sci-fi films and, and appreciating them, I guess. But yeah, my love of sci-fi goes all the way back to everything from the all the old B-movies. Of course, to me, the old-time classic is uh, 1956 Forbidden Planet with the original Roddy the Robot. Such an iconic film in its day. The original The Day the Earth Stood Still and so on. You know, these are all what sparked and inspired an entire generation. Of course, in the 30s, you had the original creature from the Black Lagoon, King Kong, and, and other films which inspired Ray Harryhausen start his career as a stop-motion animator and everything. And I guess it's a little more difficult, I guess, to be born now with so much that has come before to try to... I don't know if it's any harder to create something new. Because so much has already been done and accomplished in film and television, and it's hard to be original and creative. But 
it's hard to say because it is my life. I wouldn't know anything else other than my life and my experience. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know that I would live in any other time. I, I don't know I, if that uh, went the right direction. No, I agree. In fact, you're just three, uh, I'm just three years younger than you, and so I came up similarly watching the ABC 4.30 afternoon movie and seeing the sci-fi uh, Gamera and or the, or the Godzilla stuff, like you said, and the monster movies, so I have an affinity well, if you for grew, that. If you were here in South Florida, then you remember every Saturday they had Creature Feature, and okay. before that was Purple Grotto, and they always played the Godzilla films, they always played the old... King Kong films and the old Vincent Price films with uh, the abominable Dr. Fives, Dr. Fives Rises Again. I was going to also add, though, when you said about not being able to think of new things to create, because it's mostly all been done, and I don't know how often it's done in different areas, whether you try to go back to when it started, the old black and white stuff, and try to recreate some of those. How often do you see that around now? Maybe that's an idea for some people. I, I have to admit, every now and then, I see a film or a sci-fi or a story that really inspires me to where it's like, wow, that's really good science fiction. That's an original story. That's something I have never seen before. And it's hard to break new ground without rehashing the same old story. Because I'll sit there and I can watch a dozen movies like, oh, they stole that from this. Oh, God, that's a straight ripoff from that. I've seen films where they even steal the soundtracks and the creature sound effects. So, you know, it comes down to budget. You know, if you can afford to, to hire a good design team and you can create a lot of new concepts and realities and things but but i think there's a lot of room for a lot more creativity you just have to be willing to think outside the box Mm -hmm. yeah and the resources and or the source material you can look up a lot of things too and possibly self-teach and maybe that's another option too i was also thinking well you know the invisible man you get bandage wrapping then i'm thinking oh wait unknown soldier there's a character that you might not see nowadays and and what about the 1950 was it three the the fly and and recreate that kind of thing and maybe the fly itself in human form with a with the fly being the big a big body and, and well they did remake the fly with uh jeff goldblum jeff goldblum and oh my god what a, and the, and the sequel to that was amazing. Those just masterpieces, I think, in, mm-hmm. in science fiction that they took at the original story and that they took it to that next level, you know, with the effects and the story and everything. I, I enjoyed those films. And then there's a lot of films that have never been touched that were like, wow, they mm-hmm. warrant remakes. A lot of people hated the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. And it didn't jump at, out at me as being like very awe-inspiring, as visually incredible to watch. But if you go back and watch the original film, the original film is extremely boring. You know, there was nothing spectacular about the original one anyway. I'll give you a topic. In the Universal Monster universe, how many Frankenstein films have been done since the inception of Frankenstein? How many vampire movies have been done since the inception of Dracula? The Mummy, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man, and so on. Other than Monster Squad, back in the 80s, they've never done a creature from the Black Lagoon. That's one that me and... All of my uh, horror fans to this day question, like, wow, of all the Universal Monsters, that's the one that is, to me, the most iconic, next to, of course, Frankenstein, but still that they've never touched mm. or revisited. Good point. So there's a yeah. lot of room for, avail- if somebody wants to do remakes, there's enough, you know, there's a plethora of source material to rehash. I agree. Now, let me ask one thing we kind of touched on a bit, comic books, any influence on you growing up and what kind of comic books did you have, read, and so on? Yes and no. I collected comics as a kid. I remember going to the 7-Eleven, paying my 15 cents or whatever, buying my comics at Pido, and I remember having Man-Thing and Deathlock and the Spider-Mans back as a kid, but I 
never got into collecting comics. It wasn't until I remember watching Bill Bixby and the Hulk and all the television shows in the 70s. They were just really cheesy, but you didn't know they were cheesy at the time until now you look at the new Marvel Universe and they've reinvented all of these characters. You know, Marvel has done a masterpiece with their evolution, with their backstories and evolution stories and all of these things. It's just amazing what they've done with it today. But as a kid, comic books were not that big mm-hmm. with me. Not the greatest influence, even though now, again, I'm more involved in the characters, with the characters, body painting and making props and helmets and weapons and so on. But as a big Marvel collector, a DC collector, not so much. I have almost very little superhero anything in my entire collection, actually, I, all things considered. You mentioned Deathlock. I think I usually don't hear that come up in any conversation. That's a different character for sure that has uh, elements of Terminator, I would think, and maybe Punisher as well. Yeah, that was one of the one of the earliest comic books that I physically remember buying as a kid, as a twelve year old or whatever, walking into the Seven Eleven buying Deathlock. That was the comic that I liked, and the way they rendered it. You're right. That's not a character that's been revisited. Now they've got Deadshot, Bullseye, and Hawkeye, and all these other type characters. And I'm not sure which universe uh, they got the cyborg similar to Deathlock, but yeah. Let me ask, I think this is going to be the last thing now. Is there any character, any project, let's say, if given the time, the resources, something that you might aspire to say, you know, if I really had the time or there was no objects monetarily, what would you like to find yourself creating? Funny you should ask. (laughs) Oh, my God. I've had several what I call career projects, or this is the holy grail of everything I've ever wanted to do. Of course, my dream cosplay would be to do a full Godzilla suit, and I've had that on my plate for years, but I just don't have the time or the resources or the space to create this piece because it's going to definitely eat some real estate. Then that evolved into creating one of those, like, a full dinosaur suit because the Godzilla suit is personal, but I needed, I'm thinking, a little larger, something that I could actually perform in and rent, something I can make money with. Someone that people would pay to see. So dinosaurs are huge. I'm a huge dinosaur fanatic since I was a kid. A nice corner of my collection is all dinosaurs plus real fossils. So it evolved in making like a big T-Rex raptor kind of suit. And then the past couple of years, I've been involved with the Renaissance Festival. And the one thing I noticed that I never see is a dragon. So right now, my ultimate dream costume or project would be to build a 15-foot puppeted or costume scale dragon. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if it's because of just because down being in Florida, so it's so warm that you don't see a dragon, or just in general, nobody's thought of that? Well, they've been done on a certain scale, but the scale that I want to do it is a larger scale. The problem is, where do I build it, where do I store it, and how do I transport it? Those are the challenges that are compounded by not only creating it, but once it's created, then it's got to live somewhere. And then I got to be able to get it somewhere. It's not something I can fit in my, my Dodge Caravan. I need to rent a truck or something every time. I got to move it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it would come apart. I mean, I'm, I'm a designer and builder. It wouldn't be one big freestanding thing. It would have to break down and be able to transport. I mean, I'm perfectly capable of sculpting a life size dragon in foam and make it come apart. But I want something that I can actually get inside, walk around in, perform in, and make it just like this ultimate attraction piece. It's a lot of stuff, Jesse, over the years. We thank you for uh, all you've done and shared with the Facebook viewing audience. Lots of continued success and happiness in what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. To all you aspiring creators and people, never give up. Do what you love. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. You're only going to get what you put in. So if you really want it, don't let anything stop you. 
Jesse Malero, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Facebook under Jesse Malero, J-E-S-S-I-E, Malero, M-E-L-E-R-O. And you can find me on Instagram under the same name, except underscore between Jesse and Malero. I also am beginning to produce YouTube videos under the same name, Jesse Malero. So I, I'm pretty much out there. When in doubt, just even Google me. I've got a pretty large footprint on there as well. Thank you for helping us make this cosplay connection, this little feature I like to do from time to time. So we thank you again, Jesse, and be well. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it.